Okay, so last week, we're studying John 14. We're in the last half now. And um, last week, um, Jesus told his disciples that he was going away. And um, that was a shock to them. And uh, he comforted them and said, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, we said that that wasn't a, um, a fixer-upper room in heaven, but um, where he was going to go prepare a place for them was to the cross. And, um, and so the things that he's saying right now to his disciples, nine hours later he'll be hanging on a cross. And so um, this is the upper room discourse. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before his crucifixion. Because of that, um, they have particular weight to them. And so, um, and, and this second half of John 14 is, is deep stuff. So um, let's get into it. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, it, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. And so... Um, <clears throat> The only thing better than having Jesus with you is having Jesus in you. And what, uh, what Jesus has announced last week in our passage 
to Philip, as he said, Philip, because you so long lost power. He said, Philip, have I been with you so long and, um, and, and you don't know me? Um, I'm God incarnate. And we talked about Philip, um, kind of picked on him a little last week and said, you know, what were you thinking? You know, you walked with him for three years. And, uh, and then we kind of turned the tables on ourselves and we said, well, you know, how how little do we take advantage, how little do we understand that the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us, that Jesus is actually in us and dwelling in us. And I want to read a couple of quotes that kind of highlight this and, uh, and then talk about them. Uh, from Rankin Wilburn, who wrote a very good book called Union with Christ. I'll refer to him a couple of times this morning. He said, when the work of Christ for us becomes abstracted from the person of Christ within us, is it any wonder that there is a chasm between our beliefs and experiences? Jesus' promises about rivers of living water, these are not hollow words, for he is the living, that living water, and if you belong to him, he has joined his life to yours. Um, and so... What Wilburn's basically saying is that um, sometimes we, especially as Presbyterians, can talk about the work of Christ for us, um, which is a great theological discussion. It's a very important one. We can talk about our identity in Christ. We can talk about how God sees us. But sometimes we miss the fact that um, that. Um, that, that the person of Christ is actually in us. It's not just what he did for us. It's that he's come to dwell in us. John Calvin said this. He said, for my own part, I'm overwhelmed by the depth of this mystery, and I am not ashamed to join Paul in acknowledging at once my ignorance and my admiration. Whatever is supernatural is clearly beyond our own comprehension. Let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us than to discover the nature of that intercourse. Kind of sounds like a charismatic, doesn't he? He's, he's saying, what's he saying? He's saying, let's not be so theological. Let's not be so analytical. Let's not be like people who are looking at an animal caged in a zoo and analyzing that animal. Let's don't be so theological that we don't understand the mystery of the fact that the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus has actually become one with our spirit, has actually come to dwell in our hearts. And let's revel in that mystery. And he even goes so far as to say, let's feel that in our souls. And, um, and that's what I want to talk about today is, is, um, is if, if Philip didn't understand it, he didn't realize that he was walking with Jesus why is it that we don't realize? Why is it that we don't experience the fullness of the Spirit? Why is it that we can't revel as much with John Calvin um, at the wonder and the mystery that the Holy Spirit of God is actually living and dwelling in our hearts? It's become one with our spirit. 
Um, it's a mystery. Um, but why is it not um, a bigger deal? Why is it not uh, captivating us um, all day long? Just the, 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 the wonder of that, that, that the Spirit of God has come to tabernacle in our hearts and in our lives. And so I want to talk about four reasons why uh, we're not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit. Um, the first one is that in some cases we're filled with something else. Okay? Um, D.L. Moody said, um, if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is already, when he's full already with something else. Um, when I was a kid, right after Christmas, um, I don't know if y'all remember this or you experienced this in your neighborhood, but it was a big deal in my neighborhood. But, you know, you'd gotten your toys, and about two days in, you're, you're starting to get kind of tired of your toys already, you know? And, and so there's a phenomenon, and was in my neighborhood, uh, called Christmas tree forts. Raise your hand. Have you, did y'all did y'all ever do Christmas tree forts? So Christmas tree fort is you know people are starting to put their trees out on the curbside, and all the guys in my neighborhood would get in groups and build Christmas tree forts. And you you know you would drag the Christmas tree and build a little fort, and you know you'd have your fort, and then six houses down they'd have their fort. And you would, um, you know, the, the way it worked is you would, you would go maybe four or five blocks if you saw a Christmas tree out there, you know, and you would drag that tree four or five blocks and you would build your fort. Or you would go six houses down and steal a tree from your neighbor. And that was easier and a little bit kind of more manly, you know, to go that route. And so what you'd have is, is these blocks that were, that were, you know, great friends before Christmas. And then there's like these two factions and fist fights and stuff over Christmas trees. And, um, and you know, you'd build yours up and, and, and nobody's getting along, you know, after it's, it's all said and done. And then all of a sudden you go back to work, I mean, go back to school, and you come home from school one afternoon and your mother says, well, you know, we've got this Christmas tree fort in the front yard or the backyard, wherever you placed your fort, and um, I need you to, to take those trees to the alley now. And you kind of go, God, Mom, you know, that's... I'm not really, you know, slam bank theater's on. I, I can't really... I can't really do that right now and and you know what what you'd go five or six blocks with the tree you could you couldn't drag them to the alley you didn't have the energy to drag them to the alley and um and you know you're you're at odds with all your neighbors and and uh the the, the block is at war and and you, you just see the vanity you know of your christmas tree fort and um 
And to me, that's a, a great picture of the world system is that in some ways um, we're building Christmas tree forts. Um, um, 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says it this way. This is a different translation you've probably heard before. It says, do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Here is what people who belong to this world do. They try to satisfy what their sinful desires want to do. They long for what their sinful eyes look, like, look at. They take pride in what they have and in what they do. All this comes from the world. None of it comes from the Father. The world and its evil desires are passing away. But whoever does what God wants uh, them to do lives forever. And so um, Christmas tree forts are a passing thing. But in some ways, um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what we have and do captures our souls and, uh, and becomes an idol. It's the way the world system works. And what we have and what, what power we possess, um, what, what name we carry, uh, all of these horizontal things that the world salutes uh, become idols in our lives. They become Christmas tree forts. Uh, and they're going to perish. They're going to go away, ultimately. And uh, what was an incredible asset, like a Christmas tree fort, becomes ultimately a liability that you've got to drag to the alley. And, um, and so... The first point, the first reason why we're not filled with the Spirit is because times we're filled with something else. Um, second, second point is, second reason that we don't experience the fullness of the Spirit is there's no fuel for the fire. No fuel for the fire. I'm going to look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a, a passage about the fullness of the Spirit, a command to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Now... I want to look at the next passage on your page, Colossians 3, 16 through 18. And it's going to talk about the word of Christ. Okay? It's talking about the word. And I want, I want you to look at the effect of the fullness of the spirit versus the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And I want you to look at how similar, and I've highlighted it on your page, how similar the effect or the fruit of it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, um, so if, you, if you see, um, it, I liken it to fire in a fireplace. Um, if you want to light a fire in your fireplace, you're not going to do much good if you just have an igniter or a match. 
you can put that match in the fireplace, but you're not really going to have a fire. Or you can put wood in your fireplace, and if you don't have a match, you're not going to have fire. You need fire and you need wood to burn a fire. In the same way, um, if, if, you, um, if you have the Holy Spirit but you don't have the Word of God, it's the Word of, it's the Word of God that is the wood that the Spirit of God uses in our lives to, to ignite and illumine truth. And so it's almost like a, a card catalog of, of, of things that the, that the Spirit draws upon. And so um, it's really important that you have fuel for the fire, that you know the Word of God, and that the Word of God courses in and through your life. So the second reason why we don't experience the fullness of the Spirit is because the Word of God is not dwelling, living in our hearts, uh, coursing through our minds. Spirit of God's not able to ignite that because it's not there. It's not in our hearts. So that's the second reason. No fuel for the fire. The third reason is knowing his word, but not his voice. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, you know, you can... You can know the Word of God. And knowing the Word of God, just like I've just mentioned in the last point, is a really, obviously, very important thing. And if I know the Word of God, and a friend comes to me and says, hey, I've got this problem, then I can, um, I can think through what I know of the Word of God. I can share with him a principle from the Word of God. And it is an inspired Word of God. And it is useful to speak to that person about whatever it is that comes to my mind. But if I know the voice of God and the Word of God, um, then when that friend comes to me and shares what's going on in his life, God's Spirit in my heart brings to my heart something from His Word. He speaks to me. He says, this is what this man needs today. This is what he needs from, from my word. And so as we become sensitive to the voice of God, he takes the word of God and speaks a word to us that we can speak to them. Now, God never, uh, the spirit of God never violates the word of God, but... Um, but learning the voice of God versus the voice versus your own voice is a lifelong process, and um, and the way you learn the voice of God is to be alone with Him. Um, and so, I would ask you, um, what is your what does your devotional life look like? Do you do you have daily devotions um, where you're alone with God, where you read God's Word? where you pray and where you listen to him. Because it's in that quiet time that you learn the voice of God. You know, we can come together, and it's very important that we come together on Tuesday morning and study God's word together. It's very important that we worship together on Sunday mornings. But it's equally important that we're alone 
with the Lord, that we develop a personal relationship with him where we can begin to hear his voice. Because as we hear his voice, then we as fathers become better fathers because we speak the right word into our kids' hearts as we're abiding in him. As we're walking with our wives, we speak the right word. We love our wives like Christ loved the church because the spirit of God and and the word of God and the voice of God is actually speaking to our hearts as to how we could best love our wives. As we go to work and we live um, uh, among people that know Jesus and don't know Jesus, um, the spirit of God, the voice of God comes to us and speaks uh, what we should speak into, into every heart. So the third thing is knowing his word, but not his voice. We need that, that's another reason why we don't experience the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth reason is um, an orphan spirit. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, you know, um, Rankin Wilburn, in, in his book that I referred to earlier, um, Union with Christ, he gives an illustration that I think is a good one. He says that um, if you were going to compare a Christian to a superhero, um, you wouldn't compare him to Batman because um, Batman's just kind of a normal guy who has... Um, a cool utility belt and some a nice car, you know, in a bat cave. But he's basically kind of like you and me. Um, but a Christian is more like Spider-Man, okay? And the reason is because Spider-Man is genetically changed. He is different, okay? He got bit by a spider, and all of a sudden, he is a completely different. He was infused by the juice of a spider, which completely changed his nature, okay? In the same way, when, God's, when we were born again, uh, we're, we are a new creation. Uh, we are born in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, I hear people say from time to time, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And... Um, and I get that, and, and, and that's true, uh, but I would really rather people say, I was a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. Does that mean we don't sin? Not at all. We all have a flesh. We all have a, a propensity to sin. But our true identity, our new identity, our new nature is that we're created in Christ Jesus for, for good works. That's who we are. And the reason that it's important that you keep that in mind is that sometimes um, as we confess our sins, we go a little bit too far in the sense that we begin to crucify the new man, if you will. Um, it's important that we crucify the flesh. It's important that we deal with the flesh in our hearts and our lives. And the flesh is a very real thing that's a part of us. But... Um, you've got to realize uh, and you've got to see yourself as a son of God, 
and not an orphan. Um, you've got to see yourself as, um, as a, you know, an, another, another example is that, uh, you know, uh, 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 the whole idea of the metamorphosis of a butterfly. You know, uh, a, a butterfly was once a worm that crawled on the ground and, uh, and then metamorphosized and became a butterfly. Well, if a butterfly has forgotten who he is, and he's crawling on the ground like a worm, what do you do to that butterfly? You hold a mirror up to that butterfly and you say, who are you? And the butterfly says, ah, I'm a butterfly. I'm not a worm. I don't, I don't have to live on the ground. I don't have to live in this state that I once lived in. And the, the, the rhythm of the New Testament, the theme even of the New Testament is you are different. You are a butterfly. You have been given wings to fly. You have victory over sin in your life. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner that was saved by grace. And now you've been called to live a new life in Christ Jesus. And to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, it sounds humble, right? And it sounds almost as a way to protect yourself from pride, right? But I would, I would suggest to you that it's actually making a provision for sin in your life. Don't do it. See yourself as a son. See yourself not as an orphan, but as a son filled with the Spirit, filled with every potential to please um, God who is your, your Father. Um, you know... Um, Another illustration from Wilburn's book that I think is a great one is that um, he knows this girl. He knew this girl. And she had kind of self-image problems. She had issues, you know. Maybe it was something that happened in her past, but uh, had a lot of shame in her life. And so um, one summer, uh, she got a job at Disney World. And her job at Disney World was to be Mickey Mouse, okay? So every morning, she would put on her Mickey Mouse outfit, and her life for eight hours totally changed because when she would walk out into that amusement park, kids would flock to her. Kids loved her and, um, and responded to her new identity as Mickey Mouse. Um, in a certain sense, um, that's what God has done. He has dressed us in the righteousness of his son. He is, we have put on Christ. And God is responding to us as he responds to his son. That's our primary identity as his sons, his brothers, Christ. That's how God sees us. And he did it. He did it. We're not fooling him. He did it. He he gave us the, the righteousness of Christ and the, the, the wardrobe that we put on. And he responds to us as he responds to his son. And so um, see yourself in him. When you confess your sins, um, be careful that, that you do confess your sins. Be careful that you do repent of your sins. But don't crucify the new man. And doing that, see yourself in Christ. See who he's made you and live in that new identity.
All right, let's, um, let's pray, and then we're going to go to our tables, and uh, we've got four questions to, to talk through. So let's bow. Lord, thank you so much for the power and fullness of your Spirit. Pray, Lord, that you would, by your grace, help us to experience you today and every day and to know the fullness of you filling our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.